I'm Dr. Jillian Horton, host of MedLife with Dr. Horton on CMAJ Podcasts. I'm a general internist and associate chair of the Department of Internal Medicine and director of the Alan Kloss Medical Humanities Program at the Max Rady College of Medicine in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Today, I'm speaking with the wonderful Dr. Sharon Strauss. Dr. Strauss is Acting Physician-in-Chief at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto and Canada Research Chair at the University of Toronto. She's authored over 400 publications and three books that cover such topics as clinical epidemiology, academic mentorship, gender, and diversity in academic medicine. And although we could discuss any one of these interesting topics, Sharon has joined me today to talk about mentorship in medicine. We're here together in the studio at the University of Manitoba. Sharon, it's great to see you again. Thanks so much, Jill. It's a pleasure. So for full disclosure, I want to start by saying that you are a mentor and a friend of mine for going on 20 years now and a huge mentor hero in my life. Oh, ditto. It's so kind of you, first of all, to to say that. But also, I can't underemphasize how much I've learned from you over the years. So thank you. Well, Sharon, that is so kind of you. So to begin... You wrote a book called Mentorship in Academic Medicine with Dr. David Sackett. So can you start by telling us about your first meeting with David Sackett and how this set you on this one of your many paths? So thanks so much for that question. And, and I always say that one of the, um, one of the best gifts that I've received in, in my life and my career was, was meeting Dave Sackett. And, um, and as you know, I trained at the University of Toronto and did my clinical training. And I just started my, my graduate training in Clinepi. And um, as kind of typical at U of T, they tell you to go away for a while. And I um, wasn't sure what I, where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And at that point, I just started my clinical training and was thinking, well, if I really want to learn about research, who do I want to learn from? And Dave Sackett had obviously written a book on clinical epidemiology, and he had just moved from McMaster to, to Oxford to set up a new center. And I had read his book, and I'd read a lot of his papers, and I thought, what have I got to lose? I sent him an email and said, you know, I'm interested in doing some some research, additional research training. Are you taking any fellows? And um, what I learned later was typical day if he responded to my email within minutes and said, sure, come on over. And as you can imagine, it could have gone horribly wrong right? <laughs> that, um, you know, you, you move country and you go to work with somebody that you've never met before. And, um, and so I was just really, really fortunate. And so the, the first time I met him, he um, took me to a place called the Trout Pub, which is um, on the banks of the river. And he took me, um, he and his wife, Barbara, took me for dinner and he asked me, what did I want in my life and my career? And I told him and he said, my goal is to help realize that dream and I will do whatever I can to help you achieve your goals. And I was stunned into silence because <laughs> I had never heard that before. And my first response really was I didn't believe him because I'd never heard that before. And I think when somebody says that to you, it's such a powerful thing to hear and to realize over, t like I, I realized immediately over the next little while that he meant it and that the only thing he ever asked of me in return in all the years that, um, that, I, that I worked with him there was he said, I ask that you do the same thing for others. Hmm. And again, a very powerful thing for somebody, you know, at his, at, at his level to, to say, because he could have asked me to do lots of scuddy things over, <laughs> over the years, you know, as a junior trainee. <laughs> and he never did. He just said, I ask you to do the same thing for others. 
others. And, and again, that was just something that for me was a, was a life-changing moment. What a legacy, hey? It, it's interesting. We had um, Tate Shanafelt here a few uh, weeks ago, as you and I were talking about. And at one of his lectures, he spoke a similar story and a similar lineage. And just what occurs to me as you share that story is just how, you know, one's legacy carries on infinitely. And I think that's such an important point because, you know, often in academics, we, you know, we, we get gratification from and our universities recognize you know, grants and publications and things like that. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that those aren't you know, good things to, to achieve, but our legacy is our impact on others. Mm. And, and that, I think, is what we have to, to, to hold dearly is that we always have to think about that. So you are of course, an epidemiologist at heart. And I know that that training informs a lot of how you see what you do in medicine. So could you talk about the evidence for mentorship and what it accomplishes? Yeah. So, so again, a great question. And, and as you very well know, I'm a geek. And so when... <laughs> Respectfully when, disagree. <laughs> when, when Dave said to me, I want you to do the same thing for others, I panicked because I thought, well, what's the evidence on mentorship? How do I become a good mentor? And so, so sadly, <laughs> one of the things I did was do a systematic review on mentorship. <laughs> and because again, I felt like I had to really understand this and, and understand why was he such a good mentor? Like, what was it about him? that made him a good mentor and how can can others like how could I learn to be to be a mentor because you obviously you learn from kind of what he's doing but you know what's what's the evidence on on that and um and so did a systematic review on the quantitative literature and then did a systematic review on the qualitative literature and really highlighting that you know mentorship has such an impact on the mentees you know and especially from an we took it from an academic medicine perspective that you know it, it leads to um it leads to better career satisfaction people People who are mentored are happier in what they're doing. People who are mentored are going to be more likely to stay at your institution. You know, I want people to be happy in what they're doing, and I want people to stay at my institution if they're happy. Leads to more protected time for scholarly activities, leads to more grants, more publications. So whenever I'm trying to sell mentorship to the mm. VP research, that's the argument yeah. that I use. So it has a huge impact on mentees. And then also the impact on mentors is massive. So, And this is an area for, the, for people interested in medical education, this is not as well um, developed in the literature. Um, and what literature we do have is really kind of focused on, you know, the, the qualitative experience of, of the mentors and that it keeps us stimulated. It keeps us interested and engaged. And, and again, important things that we shouldn't underestimate. So you've made kind of a business case and also that emotional impact, you know, legacy case mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So as a former associate dean, I used to field this question from medical students, and you've written a whole chapter about it in your book. What is the most effective way to initiate a mentorship? So this is, I think, a really um, important question because there's no single best way, but um, we certainly know from the literature that just assigning people mentors without having a thoughtful approach to it tends to lead to a superficial relationship. And that one of the strategies that's probably more helpful is that you know meeting with the potential mentees and finding out kind of what their interests and what their career goals are, and then providing them with a list of potential mentors and facilitating that relationship so that you're saying, here's a bunch of potential mentors and and I will introduce you to these people and then it's up to you to meet with them and find out if they're, you know, potential fits so that it's not about randomly assigning somebody to a mentor, but um, but facilitating the relationship and then supporting it over time. 
The other strategy that can sometimes be used as well is that, um, you know, sometimes we just kind of connect with somebody. Like if we see somebody on the wards, for example, a lot of times with trainees, you see somebody and you think, well, that's somebody that maybe I want to develop that relationship with. And and absolutely that, you know, those kind of organic relationships definitely can lead to, to mentorship. But I think often what we see is that especially junior um, trainees sometimes have difficulty reaching out, mm-hmm. you know, and asking for mentorship. Um, and similarly, junior faculty members. And so it's about making sure that we assist with that and that we facilitate it. And if people aren't in a setting where there is a mechanism in place for doing what you just described, what do you think is the best way for people to seek out and formalize that relationship? So I think the, the key things are to to think about who's who's out there, who are the people that you think, you know, you might want to reach out to. So who's got the job that you're interested in, right? Like who's got the career that you're interested in and reach out to them and, and email them. And, you know, I always say, you know, what's the what's the worst thing that could happen? And they might ignore your email. <laughs> they might say <laughs> no. <laughs> But they might say yes, because, a lot, you know, I think the, the things for people to remember and the potential mentees to remember is that when somebody reaches out to you and says, I want to explore mentorship, that's a huge compliment to the mentor. And most people will respond to that. Like it's, it's a very I think it's very unusual for somebody not to respond. They might say, you know, you know I'm happy to chat, but I maybe don't have the time to provide you with mentorship, but I'll introduce you to people who might. But I think it's having the, the courage to, mm-hmm. to kind of reach out. Or the other thing is, if you if you've kind of identified certain people, and maybe you don't feel comfortable reaching out, who are the people who could help you reach out, um, and that could make that connection for you, and help kind of facilitate that? And I think that to me is is one of the key things. And we, I think, we all have a responsibility, certainly as faculty, to help people find those relationships. I think sometimes there is an assumption that if one is in a particular specialty or if you're a learner interested in a particular specialty, that the perfect mentor for you mirrors exactly what it is you want to do. Could you talk a little bit about that for a moment? Yeah, because I I would say that if that exists, that's great. Um, But more often, it's not going to be the case. And I think that... um, you know, you really want to find somebody who you're going to have that personal connection with, that chemistry with. If it's not somebody that you're going to feel safe to have a conversation with and um, and really feel that there's that trusted communication, it's not going to work. And so somebody who's got, you know, the perfect career path that you kind of aspire to, that might not be the that mentoring relationship. The the other thing is we can learn so much from people in other in other areas. So I think that's a, that's a critically important thing. But having said that, I often say that you know, for my mentees, as a clinician scientist, I know the clinician scientist pathway, you know, because, you know, I know all the ins and outs of it. I've been doing it for a while. Um, and, and so I know all the ins and outs. Well, not all of them, but as many as I, as I can. And so I find that it's, you know, I can offer more to people who are in that clinician scientist pathway as opposed to somebody, for example, who's a clinician teacher, because I don't have the same experiences as my senior colleagues who are clinician teachers. And I I haven't had the same kind of lived experience as they do as a clinician teacher. And so I do worry about that, that I'm probably not the best primary mentor for um, for clinician teachers versus clinician scientists, because I can't talk to people about, well, these are potential pitfalls or these are things I found helpful to do um, along the way in my career. But at the same time, there are core commonalities, aren't there, to the experience, of course, of being a physician. So it, it sounds like from what you're saying that the person might have, you know, more than one specialist mentor mm-hmm. in their in their stable to support them as their career 
evolves. Exactly. And so certainly we talk about having, you might have a team of mentors, for example, where you would have, you know, somebody, and especially thinking about from a research perspective, I might have somebody who's like a scientific mentor, who's got particular expertise in that area. And you might have somebody local who's more of a career mentor who understands your university and understands your, you know, your organizational perspective and how to get things done within your setting. Mm -hmm. And that's something that somebody from outside your institution is not going to have that institutional knowledge um, of the bureaucracy and things. And so you will have opportunities for a team of mentors. But I think one of the challenges then is to make sure there's good communication across your team so that if you are getting kind of different bits of advice that everybody's aware and have and have the context behind that. We put out a call for questions before we uh, did this podcast and that sort of segues us into one that we received from one individual and they wrote this email to us. Um, I didn't end up going for a prestigious specialty and after the match a number of staff I thought were mentors cut contact. So their question was how do you make sure that mentors have your best interests at heart? You know, first of all, I'm sorry to that that person who raised that question. That actually breaks my heart to to hear mm. that because when you when you feel that this was somebody that you connected with on a, as a mentor and and to feel that they're all of a sudden they, they cut contact, that that's that's really very very hurtful. Secondly, I think that this is sadly an example of poor mentorship, right? Um, and um, and highlights that you know sometimes people aren't going to have your best interests at heart. And that's one of the, you know, that's one of the things that ideally we want to strive for in mentorship that, you know, you want somebody at that senior stage in their career who really um, can put aside their own career interests, their own best interests, and think about you as an individual and want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, it's it's really um, taking the time to, to understand and, and to speak to other mentees that that person has mentored mm-hmm. and ask them, mm-hmm. you know, in advance of, the, of you deciding on this you know, mentoring relationship. You know, what's what's your sense of the mentor and did they put your, you know, your interests first or did their interests come first and have that open and honest conversation with the other mentees to find out if that's a possibility. The other thing I would say to this, to the person who, who posed the question as well, is don't let this turn you off from seeking mentors mm. because there are amazing people out there. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at one right now mm-hmm. across from me <laughs> and there are people who will have your back. And we were just talking about this earlier, yes. is that you want somebody who is going to have your back. And there are people who are out there who will who will do that. Um, and sometimes it's, as we were talking about, it, it's the surprising people that, mm-hmm. that maybe you don't expect it from. So. Yeah, that rise to the occasion. You know, this email did also make me think about sometimes assumptions that I've noticed that learners make. So sometimes heading into the CARMS match, they'll be split between two things, perhaps They've not been fully transparent with everyone insofar as they aren't 100% committed to one specialty or another, which is probably more the norm than not the norm. And I've, you know, talked to a lot of students over the years who, after the match, felt that they let a mentor down. And I knew the mentor and I would say, like, this is not concordant with who that person is. This is, to some degree, your Assumption, And I wonder how much of that we bring, in particular when we're younger, to the table, assuming that a mentor, you know, wants us to follow in their path as opposed to wants us to forge our own path. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, and it, it made me smile when you said that because I've had this conversation as well with trainees and they say, well, I was worried about letting that person down. Or, you know, I've had it said to me that people said, you know, if I don't do this or if I, you know, if I didn't take this project on, I was worried about letting you down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's, it's I think, again, it's important to, you know, as mentors, we should have that conversation with them and said, it's not about me, it's about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't, you know, you should never worry about, 
about, you know, letting me down. You know, I worry about letting you down as the mentee. Um, but um, but you shouldn't have to worry about pleasing me and about making sure that my agenda is met. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to have that to have that conversation mm-hmm. because I think you're right. Like we do, um, you know, we, we do have that sense. And, you know, again, some of us and in, in particular women, I think we tend to be people pleasers. So we want to kind of, you know, um, make sure that we don't let anybody down. Yes. And I've talked to a lot of my female undergraduates in particular about that over the years that, you know, sometimes a, a mentor will tell us that we're good at something and that will over influence our mm. sense of what we should do or what we're capable of doing. And, and again, they're doing that from a, a place of absolute support. But it's interesting how we sometimes tend to overvalue the external appraisals of what we're able to do. No, exactly. Exactly. And then and again, we have to be so careful because we have to separate out. Yeah, that's a compliment when they say I'm good at that mm-hmm. or, you know, but is it really something that I want to be doing? And just because they say that, you know, they recognize me for that doesn't mean to say that that's what I should be doing. Yes. So that nicely brings us to another subject. And I wondered if we could turn for a moment to your expertise around women in academic medicine. So what barriers do women face in securing mentorship? And what can institutions and individuals do to really level that playing field? Mm -hmm. So certainly the literature in the area that we've identified has shown that there is a perception that women have a harder time finding mentors in academics. And, you know, part of it is around, you know, if they're fine, if they want to, for example, find a mentor who's a female, they, you know, especially in positions of leadership in academics, those are hard to find. They may think they're getting a little bit easier now, but they're, they're hard to find. And so that's something that it certainly has been has been identified. Similarly, lack of access to informal networking opportunities. And um, and those are the opportunities that we have to meet potential mentors. Um, the opportunities to, you know, participate in in various um, venues where we're going to get exposed to people that, you know, are at that stage of career where they would be potential mentors. So there's a lot of factors like that that actually lead to challenges in, um, in finding mentorship for, for women in particular in, in academics. So there was an article in the New England Journal last year that proposed that in the era of Me Too, some men are reluctant to mentor women. And you and I have spoken in the past about our own perceptions as to whether this phenomenon is real. So what are your thoughts? It's interesting because um, because I had a, a you know as you know we've we've had some some back and forth on this because I had a lot of mixed uh, mixed feelings around that um, around that commentary because on the one hand you know I have heard from from colleagues saying you know yes I'm more reluctant to take on on female mentees but I also I also think that it um, it actually is um, getting away from the point where. What we want in a mentor, and if you look at kind of, you know, the characteristics of a good mentor, it's about being a decent human being. We're not asking somebody to be superhuman. We're not asking for anything special. We want people to be decent human beings. And um, and that's really what's at the at the core of it. And I and I worry a little bit about um, that we've kind of lost track of what it is that we're trying to trying to achieve. So drawing on your perspective as a seasoned mentor, what are your top three mentoring strategies and tactics? I think it's about um, making sure that it's a, a safe and trusted environment where, you know, I always say that this is a safe space. What we, you know, what we discuss here stays here. Unless, with your permission, you want me to advocate on your behalf, and I think that's kind of one of the one of the key things. Um, secondly, making sure that the mentee is in the driver's seat. It's not, you know, what I think should happen. It's what they think should happen. 
And and the third thing is that um, it's about being mindful of it's their vision and asking questions as opposed to saying, this is what you should do. Mm. Um, it's not telling what to do. It's prompting the questions and, and getting people to think. And, and just as an example, one of the things that um, that I learned from from Dave over, over the years that I worked with him was that, you know, whenever, and even afterwards, whenever I was considering something and I was thinking about, you know, should I take this opportunity on or not? Um, and if I wanted to discuss it with him, he would never say, you know, do or don't do. He would always start off with, you know, a list of questions um, and really getting me to think about why is it that I'm thinking about this or what are the things I should be thinking about. And so it wasn't that he, you know, and again, so it it takes away from thinking about, um, you know, back to your earlier question. I didn't have to worry about pleasing him or doing what he thought I should do. Yes, (laughs) He wanted to make sure I was clear about what I wanted to do. And use that. Yeah, leading that in a reflective exactly. way, allowing you to come to the conclusion yourself. Exactly. So, you know, you and I can both list um, qualities of desirable or so-called good mentees. But what do you think some of the subtler aspects are of good menteeship? And then I guess what are also some of the subtle things that might drive a mentor away from a learner who's looking for mentorship? I think ideally you want that as mentees, we should be committed to the relationship and respectful, um, respectful of the time. So making sure that we're prepared in advance and that we're, we're ready for the meetings with the mentors, um, making sure that um, we're open and honest. And so that if the, you know, if there's something not working in the relationship, like you want to hear about it from, from your mentee. Um, if it's, you know, if there's a communication issue, you want to hear it. And so I think it's it's really making sure that, that they are in the driver's seat and that it, it's a safe space for them. And so really being able to pr- kind of promote that and and that respect. Can you talk about the role of gratitude as a positive reinforcer? So how do you think on both sides that that influences mentorship? Well, I think, you know, speaking as a, speaking as both a mentee and mentor, like, a, you know, as a mentee, you know, I was, I would feel incredibly privileged to have had the opportunity to, to learn from, from Dave. And, um, and again, it's a, he opened up my career to me in so many ways because of the, the reflection um, that he, that he provided. And, and I think that that to me was, was something huge. And, um, and highlighting that, you know, again, when he said, the only thing I ask is that you pass it on to others. To me, that reflected, again, the, the gratitude that, um, that I feel is so important as part of that relationship. And then as part of that saying, you know, because I was so privileged to have that, you do want to pass it on to others, right? And that, and that, and that, that, that ability to do that. And then as a, as a mentor, um, I feel incredibly privileged to work with my mentees. You know, I said that there's a reason I stay in academics and it's because of, you know, I get to work with amazing patients and I get to work with amazing mentees and I get paid to ask and answer questions for a living. Mm-hmm. So I always say, who has a better job? <laughs> um, and, and in particular from the mentee perspective, that the opportunity to to learn from them and to see their careers flourish and to see their personal lives flourish, there is no better feeling than to see that. And um, to see your career as it has developed and flourished. So for so for people listening to this, so Julian was a resident <laughs> on one of my first teams when I started off. But um, honestly, it has been such a gift to see your career over time. Like it's just to see that. I mean, I love to see how your career has grown, your career has flourished, your personal life. Like it's just amazing. And 
to me, that's why we are so fortunate to be in and be physicians and be in academics, um, because we can see that, and I can I can watch how people are are growing over time, and like what a treat, right? What a privilege. Well, and on the heels of that, I think sometimes we're all guilty of this, and perhaps even more so when we're starting out in our career of not taking just that very brief period of time to let someone else know how much their influence has mattered. We assume that it's self-evident, you know, and I think sometimes we underestimate, especially the more junior we are, the power of just that short email or that note, you know, or of an update. I think people sometimes assume that we don't want to know what they're doing five or six years later. But I'm sure we both, you know, share that little thrill when you open your inbox and there's an email from someone that you haven't worked with for years, but who still remembers something that you, you know, you shared together or or did together. The I think for mentees, who, especially those who are more junior, to know that those things really do affect us. Well, and when you've had those, um, you know, those, those sometimes, as we all know, we have those crappy days, you know, and and to get, you know, that email or that text, it can just kind of totally change you. And sometimes, you know, it's surprising because, um, you know, you've forgotten things over time and that it's a, it's a lovely reminder to say, oh, yeah, you know, that did happen. Mm-hmm. And um, and, it, and it does kind of give you that that burst of energy to, to kind of to go on and and um, and continue. And I think that's, again, something that, um, you know, never underestimate you know the impact that those those texts and those emails have on people that um, to say you know this reminds me of when we were on team or this reminded me of you know something that I learned in your session um, and that's that's amazing to get that it's yeah, a gift absolutely and that I think sometimes the sporadic nature of it is okay too mm-hmm. right that yeah. you know there may be a, a period of time a few years when life is going off in one direction and people aren't in close contact but just the confidence maybe for mentees and on both sides as well mentors too to just know that those threads remain and are still there. Exactly. And I think sometimes the other thing that's surprising, too, is that sense of it's, you know, couldn't, you know, years have passed, but then when you hear it takes you back and it's almost like, you know, you pick up where you left off, right? Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. No, no time has gone by. Yeah. Well, Sharon, when I think of Dave Sackett and where he is now and the legacy that, you know, his mentorship, I have often said to you, and others over the years that so much of what I feel able to achieve as a mentor is just because of the gifts that people like and especially you, you know, gave me. It it really is, um, I think, a testament to all the things, as you say, that we can't see, the things that we don't commonly measure in academia, but the, the way in which we can continue to change culture and just by being there for one another. Thank you. That that means a lot. And and I certainly know that Dave would be very appreciative as well to see his legacy getting carried forward through you and your work. So thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Sharon Strauss, Acting Physician-in-Chief at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, Canada Research Chair at the University of Toronto, and accomplished author. Send in your anonymous questions to MedLife with Dr. Horton, and we might feature them in an upcoming episode. You can find a link to the Google Form page in this episode's description. If you'd like to hear more podcasts in this series, MedLife with Dr. Horton, you can find them as part of CMAJ Podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating. This podcast was made possible in part by the support of the Alan Kloss Health Humanities Program at the University of Manitoba.
I'm Dr. Jillian Horton. Thank you for listening.